It's Unleashed, Barry, a sports talk with me, John Lund, for Wednesday, September 28th, 2022, episode 12. The 49ers are lucky. The rest of the NFL is mediocre, too. Offensive fixes for the Rams. The Giants can't bring everybody back to this mess. The delicate nature of the shortstop market and Brandon Crawford. And one for the road. Negotiating to get your phone back. Let's go. What's happening? Thanks for joining us. It's Wednesday, September 28th, 2022. It's episode 12. John Lund with you. Thanks for hanging out and listening. We appreciate it. Please listen, subscribe, and tell your friends about Unleashed. We drop it each morning. And remember to listen to my show on KNBR 680 in the Bay Area, 10 to 2 Pacific time. Thank you very much. KNBR.com, you can stream us, etc. YouTube channel is coming soon. And make sure to interact with me and the show at John Lund Radio on Twitter. And I don't care what it is. Interact however you feel like. Disagree, boys, whatever you want to do, at John Lund Radio. Appreciate your hanging out with me today. All right, let's get to it. We have a lot of 49ers, of course. There's some new Aaron Judge. I don't just play Aaron Judge to get you to listen. It's not the same old drivel. We'll give you that as well. We are past the Broncos. It's Wednesday, so it is officially time to look at Sean McVay and the rest of the Rams. Let's get to it. It's time for today's leadoff spot. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You know, I, you know, you hope Trey Lance makes a, a full recovery, but you also know that, man, when he stayed on the roster, he's such a really good football player that is definitely, um, you know, out, been outstanding for them. They've won a lot of games behind his guidance and leadership. And I think he's a really good player. You know, I think, I don't think it's like uh, he's only played good against the Rams and he's never played good against anybody else. I mean, just look mm-hmm. at his career, career record when he started for the 49ers since he and Kyle have been together in 17. And it's a pretty good movie for those guys. And so um, he's a really good football player. I don't know if you ever really get too far ahead of yourself, but if you would say that I'm shocked that Jimmy's in this position. No, I'm not shocked. I feel terrible that Trey ended up hurting his ankle, but that is a part of football. And uh, fortunately for them, they had two big time starting caliber quarterbacks on their roster. And, um, and now that's where Jimmy's in a position to be able to lead their team. And that is of course, Sean McVay, the annoying head coach of the Rams. And I don't know if it's annoying because they won the Super Bowl, and this is the first time that the 49ers will have to deal with that reality, but they dominated up to the point of the uh, NFC championship game have played a lot of games. And as Sean McVay knows, well, they have struggled here at Levi stadium and yep, Jimmy's back in the saddle. We'll get more into Jimmy in just a second, but the 49ers defensively are one of the best teams in the league. Special teams, they've been fine. But offensively, we're going to get into it in a little bit about their struggles and how to improve things. But looking at the NFC, and I realize that this is far too early, and I realize we are only three games into the season, but things are already starting. I wouldn't say crystallized. That's too strong of a word. But kind of take shape and come together. Uh, one 3-0 and team in the NFC, that's the Eagles. There are seven 2-1 and teams in the NFC. There are eight 1-2 and teams in the NFC. So the Eagles at 3 and 0, the Cowboys, uh, the teams at 2 and 1, the Cowboys, Giants, Rams, Vikings, Packers, Bears and Bucks, 1 and 2 teams, Commanders, Seahawks, Cards, your 49ers, Lions, Panthers, Saints, Falcons, that's 8 teams. I went through those pretty fast. There are 7 playoff teams. Again, I know this is early, but it's still fun. Uh, I see playoff teams out of the gate and injuries can happen and we've had this discussion on the podcast. This is the sport in which injuries affect more than any other sport. So 
a quarterback comes down, goes down, and as much as we are upset with Jimmy, he's probably the best backup in the league. So that's going to affect some teams here, and teams are still going to have some key injuries. Maybe not like the 49ers have so far, but teams will have key injuries. So Eagles, Rams, Packers, Bucks to me are playoff teams. Uh, there are three wild card teams that go in, and so to me, the teams are going to tend for those three wild card spots. If the divisions are won by the Packers, Bucks, Rams, and Eagles, and those look like the best teams in each division so far, three wild card teams among them are, I think, five teams only. Cowboys, Vikes, 49ers, Cards, and Lions. Those are your contenders. These teams I don't think are playoff teams. Giants, uh, too wishy-washy a quarterback. Commanders overall, Seahawks, Panthers, Saints, Falcons. Now things can change. The Falcons won in Seattle, but Marcus Mariota is their quarterback. Uh, we're not getting good Jameis Winston, and I'm not a fan of Dennis Allen as a head coach. I covered him with the Raiders. He's just not a very good head coach. Uh, the Panthers are just trying to get by. I don't know that they're even trying to win. They've got Baker Mayfield, and if the 49ers can get through the Rams and even the record at 2-2, two and two, the next two opponents are the Falcons and the Panthers, so things look good. Now, look, it's the NFL. Anybody can upset anybody. If I was to tell you that I didn't have a big old W by the Bears, I'd be lying to you. So, yeah, anything can happen. Weather can happen. Injuries can happen. But it seems to me that things are already starting to kind of clear themselves up if you say that the Packers, Bucks, Rams, and Eagles will win divisions and the Cowboys, Vikes, 49ers, Cardinals, and Lions would be contenders. And I, and I look at the Cardinals and I go, eh, and the Lions are the Lions. I, I covered the Detroit Lions in an 0-16 season. They just find a way to lose, even though I like Dan Campbell. So I, I'm even kind of going, tease out the Cards and Lions in there. Could a team out of the out of the teams that I said wouldn't make the playoffs or wouldn't contend jump forward of those teams? Maybe the Falcons, probably the Saints. Saints went 9-8 and eight last year. A good Jameis can rear his head at some point. But there are some teams in the NFL that really even aren't trying to win. And if you don't have a quarterback, and, and if you look at the quarterbacks of the teams that I said probably weren't playoff contenders, the Giants have Daniel Jones. Um, the Commanders have Carson Wentz, who flashes at times. Geno Smith with the Seahawks. Baker with the Panthers. Bad Jameis with the Saints. And Marcus Mariota with the Falcons. Those don't seem like quarterbacks that are going to the playoffs to me. So there are a number of teams that are in flux at the position. And I don't think those teams are going to go to the playoffs. So I guess my entire point is, as I told you at the beginning of this, teams that are 2-1, and one, teams that are 1-2, and two, Commanders, Seahawks, Cards, 49ers, Lions, Panthers, Saints, Falcons are one and two football teams. That's eight of them. Two and one football teams. To, to me, there is one clear team who the first three weeks of the season has played outstanding football and are a big-time threat, and that's the Eagles. And they made a bunch of moves in the offseason, but the biggest move they made, Jalen Hurts got better. And so that tells you how critical the position is. Again, two and one, Cowboys, Giants, Rams, Vikings, Packers, Bears, Bucks. Bears are fake out of that group. Uh, Giants are fake out of that group. So, again, things start to kind of come together, and you say to yourself, well, the 49ers aren't in as bad of a position as you think because the NFC, unlike the AFC, where I think there's a level of dominant teams and a team that won the AFC last year and the Bengals are 1-2, and two, I see a, a lot more difficult road in the AFC than I do in the NFC, and that's good news for the 49ers. Next. I'm pretty bad, so, I mean, usually high ankles are usually – just for everyone, they say four to six, but sometimes it can be sooner and sometimes it could be longer. So that's why I didn't give an exact date. It's too early to tell. That is Kyle Shanahan giving us a grim update on Trent Williams. You saw the play on Sunday night against the Broncos. He got twisted back, and now Trent Williams 
is out for at least four to six weeks. And to this point, even though the names are big, uh, Jimmy Ward went out before the season, Tashawn Gibson has filled in admirably, if not good. Uh, Trey Lance goes down. Jimmy was good against the Seahawks, not against the Broncos. But we know what Jimmy brings to the table. And for all the criticism he's received, and I think it's warranted for his play against Denver, there are excuses slash explanations. I've told you what my theory is on excuses versus explanations. I think Jimmy's play against the Broncos, anything about arm fatigue that I've heard or not being in camp, I think those are excuses. Some people take it as explanations. That's fine. But Jimmy was there for the injury for Trey Lance. So, okay, you're, you're okay there. And some people think even in the short term, better. At the running back position, Elijah Mitchell goes down. Ty Price goes down. Jeff Wilson Jr.'s around. He had a couple of nice runs against the Broncos. Uh, Marlon Mack is in the fold. I would expect we would see more from him, especially because teams have kind of caught up on what uh, the 49ers are doing with Debo. You still have J.P. Mason, so they could be okay at running back. The Trent Williams injury is, is a crusher. Jalen Moore, I, I don't see it. I, I've never seen it since he's arrived on the scene. They've tried him at guard. They've tried him at tackle. He's been horrendous at tackle. Colton McKivitz did it. This is the, the rallying cry this week among the uh, media and the 49ers. Well, he did it last year in the final game against the Rams. That's fine. But now they have a whole week to get ready for him, and there's just nobody to replace Trent Williams. And in an emergency situation, Daniel Brunskill could go out there. He's done it before. Uh, in a real emergency situation, Spencer Burford, their right guard, played a lot of tackle at Texas San Antonio. Yep, that's different than facing Aaron Donald. My point in saying all this is the defense is good. The special teams are fine, but with an with an offensive head coach like Kyle Shanahan is, he's going to fix the offense, I believe, at some point. So in the order of importance, I just told you about the offensive line. That's an issue. Uh, the quarterback, everybody, including me, said that Jimmy would be better short term. On Sunday night, he wasn't. I don't think Trey could have been worse. Jimmy in the offense, one drive. And I'm going to just do this real quickly, and then I'm going to move ahead on this whole thing, but just to impress your friends with these numbers. Listen closely. Now, you know they were 1 of 10 on third down, and they missed their first nine. But here's the real insight to this thing. The average to-go yards on third down was third and eight. Second down was actually the, the disaster. The Jimmy Garoppolo, Jake Rendell fumble, second down. The infamous stepping out of the end zone, second down. Randy Gregory, number five for the Broncos, blowing by Jalen Moore after the Trent Williams injury. Yep, second down. Jeff Wilson, Jr., uh, Jeff Wilson Jr.'s fumble to essentially end the game, second down. So second down was actually the the major down because it set up the team for failure on third down. Now, back to the QB talk. It's not going to change, but for at least one game, Jimmy wasn't better. Now, maybe, as I said, it was the rust. Maybe it was just Jimmy. That's what I think it is. I've seen some of those plays many times by Jimmy Garoppolo. But the offensive line will have to be better, and they're going to have to get rid of the ball quicker. So here's a solution. Jimmy is among the fastest quarterbacks in the league in pocket time, getting rid of the football, 2.2 seconds, which is absolutely ridiculous. Tom Brady is just a tick under 2.2. Now, if you're saying to yourself, why does that matter? Well, by comparison, Trey Lance was at 2.9, and Justin Fields is at 3.0. What that tells you is, and you'll see this every single year with young quarterbacks, they don't see it as quickly. Hold the ball, hold the ball, hold the ball, run, get sacked, you know, try to try to play backyard football. That's that's basically the history of the league is they just don't see it as quickly. And what Kyle Shanahan will do to combat Aaron Donald and the rest of what the Rams do is he'll get rid of the ball quickly. In the two wins last year against the Rams in the regular season, Jimmy got rid of the ball in an average of 2.35 seconds. Impress your friends with that. 
In the loss in the NFC Championship game, it was 3.14 seconds. Is that pi, by the way? Pi, 3 point? I think so. Uh, it's been a long time. Anyway, <laughs> 3.14 seconds in the loss. The Rams know this. They're going to play up on the line. We said this earlier on in, the, in a podcast last week or yesterday or whatever it was. They're, they're not going to respect the deep ball. They're not going to respect outside the numbers. And now they know that Jimmy has to get rid of the ball quickly. And, oh, by the way, they know that Debo is going to run the ball in certain situations in certain formations. And that leads me to the next thing. The league knows. The 49ers run the ball on 53% of their plays, but they only had 19 versus Denver. So, they, obviously, they've got to fix that. Against Denver, they ran the ball nearly 60% of the time. And so that's one of the problems. The Rams know this. The league knows this. The tendencies. The 49ers, even though it's not the comfort zone of Kyle Shanahan, I'm not saying run the ball less because you know the number. Kyle Shanahan, when he runs the ball 30-plus times in a game, is 23-2 and in his 49ers career. So you, you don't run it less, but you mix it up more. That's what the 49ers need to do. They had a 60% tendency to run the ball on first down against the Broncos. They're third most in terms of running the ball on first down in all of the NFL, so everybody knows it. So it's an easy thing to look at. you you got to get rid of the ball quickly because your offensive line is in flux. Not only Trent Williams, but the but the interior did not play well against the Broncos. Jake Brendel uh, graded out poorly according to Pro Football Focus. Spencer Burford had two penalties himself, so they've got to be better along the offensive line. But the Rams know you got to get rid of the ball quickly because Aaron Donald's breathing down your neck. You're not going to threaten us deep or outside of the numbers. You have a tendency to run the ball. We know the formation in which Debo Sam is going to run the ball, so what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, one of the things is, and here's, here's where they're in a bit of a quandary against the Rams. I'd love to see George Kittle get involved, and I probably say this every single week, because what you're looking for offensively is mismatches. There's not a linebacker nor a safety who can cover on a consistent basis George Kittle. Now, would Jalen Ramsey come over? I guess if he starts to be a threat, Jalen Ramsey could. But Jalen Ramsey is going to be looking at Debo. Jalen Ramsey is going to be looking at Ayuk, and that's another problem that the Rams possess because he can at times take away your best receiver. George Kittle is always going to be a matchup advantage against the defense. The problem is when Trent Williams is out, are you going to need to keep George Kittle in? Chip, maybe use check can do some of that stuff, but I'd like to see George Kittle get involved, even though it's going to be tough along the line and he may have to help. Finally, with the 49ers, it, it, this is the key to everything, and it sounds basic, but again, impress your friends with these numbers. The 49ers, let's talk turnovers. The 49ers in their one win are were plus three against Seattle. And their two losses, they're minus four in turnovers, including minus three in Denver. This team is obviously not good enough to make mistakes. Jimmy with the Brendel fumble. Jimmy with the pick under uh, with about two minutes left. Jeff Wilson Jr. essentially ending the game with the fumble. Now here's where you impress your friends and you get your pen ready, even if you're driving. In the history of the NFL, if you're plus one in turnover rate against your opponent, you win 70% of the time. If you're plus two in turnover rate, you win 83% of the time. And if you're plus three in turnover rate, you win 90% of the time. So week one, 49ers minus one loss. Week two, plus three, 49ers win. Week three, minus three, loss. The top five teams in the league in turnover margin are 10-5 and five combined, including Jacksonville, who's been horrible for years. They held the number one pick in the last two seasons, and they're 2-1 and one with a plus seven turnover rate, which through three games is ridiculous. That's over two per game. And while Trevor Lawrence is playing better, the main reason why the, 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 main reason why the Jacksonville Jaguars are winning is, is simple. 
they get turnovers. So that's some of, that's a quick look ahead to the Rams and the 49ers. It looks grim on the surface, but it's time for Kyle to find a way. He's an offensive genius after all. And while I do think ultimately he winds up in pinstripes next year, do not count out the San Francisco Giants. This is a team that has only 89 or so million dollars committed to next year's payroll. The only player under contract for 2024 is Anthony Desclafani right now. The Giants have money, they have money to spend, and they have a big need for a power hitting bat in the middle of the lineup. Aaron Judge is from California, makes all the sense in the world, if not for that team in the Bronx. I know I keep playing these cuts of people saying I'm trying to find, oh, there Jeff Passage just said he might come to the Giants. I am a realist. Uh, this has been my viewpoint the whole time. I don't know that Aaron Judge is going to come to the Giants, even though I've played you cuts on the podcast from his initial All-Star appearance in 2017 saying that his biggest thrill in that All-Star game was meeting Buster Posey. I've seen interviews in his house where he had a Buster Posey jersey behind him, and I'm sure I'm with a lot of Giants fans who say, I see that jersey! He's coming! He's from Linden, California, just outside the Bay Area. I've, I've said this time and time again. It makes all the sense in the world. As Jeff Passan just pointed out, the money is there. The need is obviously there from a turnstile perspective and an on-field perspective. So we've talked about this a lot. But the reason why I'm bringing this up again is not to regurgitate or to go over land that we have already that we've already tilled. Is that a thing? Uh, ESPN did a piece. 14 executives were asked in Major League Baseball uh, what the years and the amount would be for Aaron Judge of the Yankees. The average was nine years, $315 million. And while some people would go, oh, my God, I'm way past the point in my career having done this for a long time of being shocked by any number and $315 million for Aaron Judge, even though he'll be 31 by the time next season starts, to me is nothing. Because remember, one title and any contract is worth it. The, the Giants signed Barry Zito, remember, to the 7-135. He was booed for about, of those seven years, he was booed for about six of them, at least five of them. But it was worth it because he helped them win a title. John Lester with the Cubs, $155 million. He wasn't good at the end. Won a title, 2016, worth it. We can go on down the line. This is the way contracts are signed, whether it's Bryce Harper getting a long-term deal. Go on down the line. All these guys that are getting the long-term deal, these these superstar players, at the end of it, you're thinking, man, they're going to be 37, 38, 39, 40. Now, I know that Albert Pujols is dipping into the fountain of youth this year, and it's fun, and it has been fun to watch him get 700 home runs. But ask the Angels if they would do that contract again. They wouldn't. Why? They didn't win a title. If they had won just one, it would have been worth it. If you go down to their stadium, they still hold on to 2002 against the Giants. Sorry to bring it up, but it's all they have. So every team, well, not every team, most teams are trying to win the title. And if you have the financial wherewithal of the Giants, one season, just one, of winning a title would be worth nine years and $315 million of Aaron Judge. Having said that, I did look at, the, uh, at some other players and what they might be worth. And I do have bad news because my backup plan, and he might even be my number one plan over Aaron Judge, as crazy as that sounds, Trey Turner, who's going to knock in 100 runs for the Dodgers, who's going to hit 20 home runs, who's going to steal, who already has stolen 25 bases, and plus you steal him from the Dodgers, and he plays shortstop. Uh, my friend F.P. Santangelo, who for years was the analyst on Washington Nationals TV and talked to Trey Turner a lot, Turner's from Florida, and he's already said that when he was in L.A. and he talked to him that he missed his family and he wanted to get closer to his family. So I don't know that Trey Turner is going to become a member of the Giants. 
But it leads us into our next topic, which is we got into a long conversation on our show yesterday on KMBR, which you can hear Poplin Lund weekdays 10 to 2 on the Sports Leader. And we were talking to Sean Estes, who is a former Giants pitcher, and he was talking about moving Brandon Crawford. We were talking about moving Brandon Crawford off shortstop. And this is on a weekend in which Brandon Crawford was absolutely unbelievable against the Arizona Diamondbacks. And even though the metrics don't like Brandon Crawford, Again, another uh, phrase that I use all the time, just watch the damn game. Sometimes numbers are spot on, dead on, and sometimes numbers lie. The numbers to me of Brandon Crawford's metrics have just lied. He's still an elite shortstop. He's the best defensive shortstop in the history of the Giants, and he's one of the best defensive shortstops in the history of the game. The guy just makes amazing plays. Now, he's got one more year left on his contract, which leads me to this whole conversation. And and Stick a pin in Crawford for a second. But this brings me to a conversation in which, at least for me, and I'm in my own little bubble, I'm constantly hearing via my show, via people that I talk to, reading things, etc., that, well, we want to bring Brandon Belt back. His knee's better. We heard that even yesterday. Uh, well, Brandon Crawford's got to stay at shortstop. What do you do with Tyro Estrada? He, he's had a really nice season. Oh, geez, you know, I know Evan Longoria is older, but, man, when he's healthy, he's really, really good. When, when, when he's healthy. We hear that all the time with the Giants. So all these people, oh, we got to bring back Mike Yastrzemski. This team's not good. There was a piece on ESPN recently that called the core of the Giants the 28th best in the league, and they're not lying. And they use numbers and analytics. They, they don't have a regular everyday player that's far above average. They re-signed Wilmer Flores. You're going to bring all these guys back? You can't do that. So I wouldn't bring back Brandon Belt. I wouldn't bring back Evan Longoria. I'd bring back, well, let's let's circle back. I, I'd bring back Tyro Estrada in a super utility role. Uh, I think Mike Ustremski is who he is, and I wouldn't bring him back. They need an entirely new outfield, which, again, it blows my mind that this team won 107 games last year. Did I say that already? Blows my mind. But let, okay, now we put the pin in Brandon Crawford. Let's bring it back. Brandon Crawford has already stated that he wants to play shortstop. He's a franchise icon that's won ma- multiple championships. He has done this thing the right way the entire time and is, from personal experience and having interacted with him a number of times, both on my show and in person, from signing autographs to my son to Giants Fan Fest, where I've always been on the stage and had uh, Brandon around. He's an amazing guy both on and off the field and exemplifies exactly what you want in a player that you do not ever want to wear another uniform. Now, having said that, the shortstop crop, because I don't think the Giants are getting Aaron Judge. I would love it, but I don't think it, and I'm a realist. But the shortstop crop this year, Trey Turner, who wants to go back closer to Florida, so I'm going to count him out. But if you go Xander Bogarts or Dansby Swanson or any of the shortstops that are uh, potentially available, Carlos Correa, if one of those guys want to play for the Giants because my talent is such at a deficit and that position is the one that is stacked, then I have to say to Brandon Crawford, now look, first of all, I'm going to, I'm going to respect Brandon Crawford. I'm going to ask any of those shortstops, can you play third? Can you play second just for a year? If they say, and this is the ego of an athlete, I'm a shortstop. I don't see Carlos Correa, for example, moving off shortstop. It's just, it's an elite position. It's cool. Remember in Little League, you ever play shortstop? What position does that guy play? Shortstop. Shortstop's the best athlete on the team. Shortstop's the best player on the team. Shortstop, when when you're in Little League or anything below high school or even in high school, he's the best pitcher too. I mean, that's just it. He has a different swagger. He's the shortstop. I guess the pitcher has has more swagger than the shortstop, but the shortstop is about as close as you get to, like, the quarterback. What position do you play? Shortstop. It's cool. So you're going to ask Brandon Crawford to to move off of shortstop because I would imagine the ego of 
Carlos Correa or Dansby Swanson, Xander Bogarts. I'm a shortstop, not a second baseman, not a third baseman. Trey Turner did it, but he was traded to the Dodgers, and they already had Corey Seager in the middle of the season at shortstop, so he had no choice. He wasn't great at it, but he had no choice. But if Trey Turner wanted to involve a conversation outside of what I was told that he wants to get closer back to home, you're the shortstop. He's not as good of a defensive player. None of those guys are. Maybe outside of Dansby Swanson are better defensively than Brandon Crawford. But as much as I respect Brandon Crawford, as much as the organization I'm sure respects Brandon Crawford, they've got to have a conversation with Brandon Crawford that says, look, you got to move to second base next year. I'm sorry, but we got to bring one of these guys in because Crawford only has one year left on his deal. You want to respect franchise icons, there's no question. But Brandon Crawford's got to be a second baseman if one of those other guys don't want to move off of shortstop move off a shortstop and I went I just told you about the ego of a shortstop most of them don't want to move away from shortstop they just don't so look I'll come to your team you're paying me a bunch of money but I'm your shortstop and a tough conversation will be had with Brandon Crawford all right finally it's time to talk cell phones in one for the road all right one for the road today I uh, lost my cell phone. Doesn't seem like a big deal, right? Um, we are all so reliant on our cell phones. And you know this, but I'm going to tell the story anyway. My wife and I were out at uh, brunch the other day. I'm old school. Uh, if if there were phones in my day, not to age myself and get be get off my lawn guy, there's no way my parents would have let a phone be at the table. It drives me absolutely crazy. So we're out at brunch the other day, and I look around. The table to our right, man and a woman, uh, mid-20s, staring at their phones. Uh, a group of four women staring at their phones. Group to my left, uh, a couple staring at their phones. I, I, I'm just, I just am like, it's amazing because I don't know. I'm an, I'm an in-person, interactive type of person. I put my phone down. If there's an emergency, I'll tell somebody, yeah, I got to take this. Or, but I think texting and all that stuff is, is rude. Now, having said all those things, losing your phone is, I, I, you know, I, I was going to say it's the, it's the equivalent of losing your wallet. You can tell me, at John Lund Radio, losing your wallet is probably worse. Credit cards, having to get a new driver's license, those things are a problem. They've got it down to the point where if you have insurance on your phone, and I do, then you just call a number, and it's, I don't know, it's a couple hundred bucks, a few hundred bucks. It's not fun, but by, by the next day, you'll have a new phone in your hand. So it's not a big deal. But yesterday, I lose my phone in San Francisco in the city, and it was actually really good radio. I did play-by-play because, obviously, you can track your phone based on where it was. And somebody had taken my phone and, I guess, dropped it again. And it was on, if, if you're from the Bay Area, you know this, it was on BART, which is, a, uh, which is a rail system in San Francisco. And it was going all over the city. And we were doing play-by-play. And people were laughing. And I, I'm like, is this bad radio? And they were like, no, this is great radio. Keep it up. And so I kept saying, you know, it's in Oakland. And now it's in San Jose. And now it's, so we're doing all this play-by-play. And all of a sudden, at about 2 o'clock, my show ends. I thought I can be I can be a detective here, and I can I can see what train it's going to be on because I, I can track the phone. I, I normally go to a certain station, so I'm and then I, I know where I sit every day when I go on the train. So I, I'm going to be able to get this phone. And all of a sudden, when my show ends, as I'm walking towards this, thinking I'm going to be really smart, it stops and it starts going into the city. I'm like, oh, I'm I'm totally screwed. So I start going home. I get all the way home, and I had put a message on the phone that said you know, Texas number. It was my wife's number. And my wife says, they found the phone and it's a lady and she's super nice. She's an old lady and she works at a a hotel or something. And she said, just stop on by and she'll give it to you. And I thought, boy, this is going to be simple. This is going to be fun. Or not fun. Fun's the wrong word. But I said, this is going to be simple. What a miracle that I'm getting this thing back. 
save myself a few hundred bucks, a headache. You, you, you got to get your phone back. I go down to the place, and suffice to say that it was a shakedown. I don't think that's too strong of a word. <laughs> there was no lady at a hotel. Uh, the hotel person was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, all of a sudden, I, uh, there's a commotion. It's these people, and they have the phone. I walk across the street. It's kind of a shady situation. They say I paid, you know, 50 bucks for the phone, so I need 150 bucks. I said, look, I got 100 bucks. No, we need 150. We negotiate back and forth. Uh, I find a few more bucks in my wallet, and, and I, I get the thing back for 150 Now, I know what you're saying to yourself. You're saying, why did you go through this? You could could have just got your phone back for a couple hundred bucks. You had the thing insured. You're right. It's just that I was told there was an old lady behind a counter at a hotel, and she was just going to hand me the phone. Now, I wasn't going to – now, I know what you're saying. You got to give her some money. She went through the trouble. I get it. I had some money to give her. I was going to give her 100 bucks. Ended up giving her 150 No big deal. All I'm saying is it did question my – I asked somebody this because I, I thought to myself, are human beings good? Would most people turn in a phone? You know, I think you've seen that thing. They've done this on TV. You, know, some, you set it up where you drop a wallet or you drop some cash, and you know, would people give it back? My estimate was 75% of, the, of people would turn the phone in somewhere. For example, if it was on a train on BART, you could just give it to a, you know the BART police or the person sitting there. They contact you at some point, and they have a lost and found. Maybe I have too much faith in people. Uh, I did not expect a shakedown, but I, I think 75% of people would just give the phone back. You give the person 50 or or 100 bucks. I've left my phone in an Uber before, got the Uber guy to come back. I gave him, I think, 60 bucks was all I had on him. That might be a little light. But, you know, there's kind of an unwritten rule. Everybody hates to lose their wallet. Everybody hates to lose their phone. I have found wallets and phones before, and I just think to myself, I would hate to lose this. And so I do what I think is, quote-unquote, the right thing. Most people, I think, would do the right thing. These people, it was a shakedown. Glad to have my phone back, but I should have just used the insurance, and that's one for the road. And that is Unleashed with me, John Lund, for Wednesday, September 28th, 2022, episode number 12. Thank you for listening. Subscribe. Tell your friends. We drop it each morning. Spotify, Apple, the usual places for your podcast. Listen to my show weekdays on KNBR 680, the sports leader, 10 to 2 Pacific, with the voice of the 49ers, Greg Papa. YouTube channel coming soon, and please interact. Mailbag is Tuesdays, but I'll take them anytime at John Lund Radio. We'll be better tomorrow. You've been listening to Unleashed with me, John Lund, on the Locked On Podcast Network.